0: This episode is brought to you by everynowheremusic.com Yup, you got that right, that's yours truly. So if this is an endeavour you'd like to support, please come and sign up for my newsletter at everynowheremusic.com Everynowhere or every everynowhere, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. Ariel is an absolute legend. And if you keep your ears open, you will notice swiftly as this conversation progresses, that one of the things that sets her apart from many other members of the music industry who aren't musicians or artists themselves, is that she is as passionate about your success as an artist as you probably are. And that is a big I cannot stress enough the importance people like RL play in the music industry. That being said, I'm going to fall back upon my motto that this conversation speaks for itself because it really does. So please keep your ears open. I can't recommend her work enough. So make sure you go check out her links on the episode notes. As you'll probably hear me say during the course of this conversation, I've literally used her free content for university lectures. That's how good her material is. So yeah i rest my case before we move on though here is me giving you a gentle reminder again that we are a completely independent show so if you want to support it come sign up from a mailing list and come around to the holistic musician academy who are our sponsors that's me as well we have a bunch of courses and mentorship opportunities which i would be very happy for you to explore and uh, yeah that's about it really enjoy the show without much further ado ariel hyatt Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. Welcome Ariel, we are officially on tape.
1: Fantastic.
0: Thank you so much for doing this. I'm super stoked, super honoured to have someone like you on this podcast. I really appreciate you taking a chance on me and just hopping on.
1: Well, it's my absolute pleasure. I always love, I think the best type of t- of chat is with, with artists and musicians who are doing it. That's my, my favorite interview.
0: Thank you. It's exactly that spirit which is very um, evident in uh, all of the material out there uh, that you put out. And uh, it's, it's the kind of thing which is very reassuring for independent artists like me and kind of uh, um, something... That really uh, establishes a very uh, natural and organic sense of trust in someone like you.
1: Why, thanks. I appreciate that.
0: Um, I usually start off reminiscing how I met uh, my uh, guests, some of whom I've had the honor to meet in person, which in our case is not yet uh, so. But in case you're ever wondering, uh, you were wondering how I found you. It was over uh, a podcast by Emily White.
1: Aha, uh-huh. yes, yes. The How how to Collect All Revenue Streams podcast series. Emily White is a genius.
0: She is, I will, I will admit. That podcast is a game changer. Uh, I've used it um, not only to try and implement some of the content in there, but also for a lot of my lectures. Um, I lecture at a, a bunch of universities in different um Uh, different parts of the world as haughty as that sounds Uh, and especially the episode uh, with you has been so helpful Uh, and I say that not just on my behalf but on behalf of a lot of younger artists and students who've gotten privy to that episode.
1: I'm so happy to hear that. Full disclosure I am currently Emily White's publicist. Okay. For the second season of her podcast which has one more day of live. She's been recording it live on volume.com, which is a live streaming site that I've been working for.
0: Really?
1: And she's been in Minneapolis uh recording in front of a live studio audience. And it's been, it, I think this season is going to be just as exciting as the first one. And all 12 episodes are almost in the bag. And Currently, you can watch them on volume. And for your listeners, I can provide a free code if anyone wants to come listen. They, they are behind a paywall right now. If you want to watch the videos, I, I'd love to offer them to you.
0: That is extremely kind of you.
1: And if, if you want to talk to Emily, I, I'm sure she would love to come on your podcast as well. So
0: Oh, absolutely. That is super kind of you. I'm definitely going to take you up on both offers there.
1: Excellent. And yes, um, it's funny, Emily has mentioned to me that that podcast episode with me on it has been one of the most listened to ones and it's been downloaded in a hundred countries. So it's so cool just to know that it's reaching people and Emily and I do have quite a frank conversation about marketing there and what it takes and we dispel some myths and I'm so pleased that that's
0: how you found me exactly that's that's exactly it. the frankness of that conversation is i think what really comes across and grabs uh, every independent musician's attention because PR and marketing has always been such a mysterious realm for most musicians uh, i'm just about starting to unpack it and i have a degree in music business. And I still don't know what the hell I'm doing most of the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think none of us do. It's like, you know, now we have to deal with chat GTP. You know, it's like something every, you know, it's like every few weeks, there's another marketing tool and a lot of things to contend with. It's not as simple as it was when I started. That is for sure.
0: You just made my first question super simple, which is, so in this day and age, where does an artist start and where do they stop? That's two questions I know.
1: Okay. So where <laughs> do you
0: stop? I'm bracing myself.
1: Yeah, you no, know, I'm I'm of the of the deep mind that you need to start in the easiest place to start. Mm. So The reality of what is happening in the world and and things like social media, there is millions of people everywhere, right? There's no one place that is the right place except the thing that I have seen and learned for myself and for all the clients and artists that I represent and talk to and don't represent and just know and meet, et cetera, is if you don't start in a place that is comfortable for you and you are, because you feel like you've been told that TikTok is the hot thing or you've been told that you're supposed to use AI tools because that's the future and you force yourself to do something in a marketing domain that doesn't give you joy, pleasure, or comfort, Mm -hmm. you're setting yourself up for something that's going to be really painful. I, I, I sort of like to... To liken it to working out. I hate working out. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in an athletic family. No one worked out in my home. It just it wasn't second nature, like some of these athletic people I see walking and running. <laughs> but I, I love to dance, right? So yeah. if if I can just dance or go to a dance class or or go out with girlfriends and dance, that's exercise and it's pleasurable. As opposed to like, I'm going to go to a gym and I'm going to learn all these complicated machines and I'm going to, you know, take a spinning class because spinning is supposed to be good, even though I hate sitting on a stationary bike, right? Mm-hmm. So forcing yourself is not the way. So my advice about where you start is start with something that you can at least tolerate. Don't start with something that you hate. And then where do you stop is, is an even more interesting part of that question because that's the problem with all of this is that there's this infinite amount of energy and time and effort that you can put into marketing you could never stop let's Mm, face it i mean that's you you know, think about it at night when you get in bed and you make the mistake of bringing your phone with you and you're like, oh, I'll just read this one article. And then three hours later, you're yep. down some crazy rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. um you, you know, all of these all of these tools now, Instagram, Facebook, all of them, they're all designed to keep us hooked. Rup. And so where do you stop? Yeah, I think I think the answer for that is first you have to. Be really, really regimented about your time that you're spending. Mm -hmm. And you have to use your time wisely because you must stop to recharge yourself with true creativity, creative endeavors. Anything that turns you on and lights you up that's not screen oriented, you must stop for, especially musicians. You must stop to make music. You must stop to rehearse. You must stop to collaborate. You must stop to feed what it is you're doing in the first place. And certainly what you're doing is not making TikToks. I hope.
0: Yeah, so good. Thank you so much for saying that. That er, every bit of what you just said resonated in all of my body. And I know when that happens, that is gold nuggets. Truth being dropped big time. Thank you so much for that, Ariel. Those could have been my words out of the mouth, except not as articulate. Why, thank you. Fun fact, I don't know if you know this, but... um, I also uh, side gig as a personal trainer for musicians and artists. And uh, <laughs> that analogy is so in line with what I say. Because uh, needless to say, uh, most of us, quote unquote, sensitive artistic types are not fond of working out. I'm an anomaly, uh, long story. And my, my word of advice is always start with anything which actually feels good and it doesn't have to be something that conforms to someone else's idea of working out or being athletic. It's your body. No. It's your life. And uh, uh, it's it's also one of the reasons I, I started my academy, by the way, which is uh, like what I call 360 degree artist mentorship, is because I see a lot of parallels in between self-care and marketing, as, as weird as that sounds, it sounds like this enormous tangent, but the baseline are have so much in common, like start with something that feels good and stop when you know it's not doing you any service anymore. So thank you so much.
1: I couldn't agree more about right. that philosophy, that self-care. And I also think there's something to acknowledge right now in the world, which is We are all in some form of PTSD. Three years of a global pandemic, especially for tuned in, empathetic, intuitive, creative types. Yes. This has been an unprecedented time. And I know globally the sort of party line is like, everything is back to normal. Let's all just get back to the way that we used to do things. Mm. I don't think that could be farther from the truth. So true. Our, Our bodies remember what has happened. So true. And... I think especially for musicians who any of any of you listening who made your living going out into the world and playing in clubs, venues, bars, cafes, hotels, I don't care, you got your livelihood taken from you. Yes. And we're we're all trying to find our way back right now. And what we're not talking about is the fact that this is not business as usual. Yes. And I think we all need to have a lot of grace for ourselves that it doesn't look and feel like it did in 2019 and it might never look and feel like it did. And that's okay. I just think ignoring it is weird. It's like a weird way of proceeding.
0: Mm. I couldn't agree more. Thank, I, I can't begin to thank you for addressing it addressing what you just did and the way you just did um you know um it's interesting we had a guest a guest on last week a recording session um a singer uh, slash educator and you know, a psychologist actually based out of new york uh, she, she's uh, she works for um the Effortless Mastery Institute. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's it's a system of educating musicians um, established by uh, pianist uh, uh, Kenny Werner. And uh, she talked about how the pandemics actually started now. You know, when we the, there's an emotional pandemic that's begun, and a lot of us aren't even acknowledging it.
1: Yes, yes. Wow, that's fascinating, and I can't wait to tune in and listen to that. I think that's as upsetting as that is to hear, I, I do believe, I do believe that that's, that's accurate. So that bringing it back to this lens that we're looking at this through today, through the lens of marketing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I think we have to be even more tender with ourselves about what is effective and what's going to work versus what is going to drain you, exhaust you and not work. And I have seen so many things that don't work. And I've seen, I've just seen a lot of, I think also a sort of result of the pandemic is like, we've all lost time, right? We lost time. We had to stop whatever we were doing to care for ourselves, to care for loved ones. In my case, I had a baby. (laughs) I had to care for like a whole new human. And my parents are, are very, um, they're old. They're, they're in their upper eighties. So I'm caring for them.
2: Mm.
1: And some of us got ill and we had to care for ourselves and we have to be forgiving that our bodies might not, even if we feel like we got through getting COVID and then it was okay, our bodies are still remembering. So So there has to be a lot of, I said just earlier, like working smarter. But I think when I think about what is working smarter for all of us, Mm -hmm. it's about being connected and the problem with social media and the problem with trying to get your spotify numbers to go crazy Mm -hmm. is there's a very there is a very dark side of that which is you are not experiencing the connection yeah it's an illusion it's an illusion And especially with Spotify, which won't even let you know, who are these people that are streaming my music? I can see some of them live in Philly and some of them live in Mumbai and some of them live in wherever. But like, I don't know who they are. I know they're men or women or non-binary. Okay, cool. But you don't have faces. You don't have names. And unless someone communicates directly with you somehow and says, I just listened to your thing and I loved it. It's this amorphous communication. So true. Which is the opposite of the kind of marketing that I like to focus on.
0: So true. It's um, indeed, um, yeah, uh, again, I, I couldn't have said it better. But let me ask you, what kind of marketing do you like to focus on?
1: I've been experimenting with something that I want to do some deep dives into this year, Mm-hmm. And I, I'm calling it micro-marketing, cool. micro-networking.
0: I like the sound of that already.
1: Thank you. It's, um, uh, you know, if you look online, it, I, I didn't invent it for sure. But mm-hmm. I think, again, you know, where I have seen so many artists that come to my agency, that want to work with me, that pay me a lot of money, they're trying to, and I quote, get as many listeners as possible. mm mm-hmm. That cannot be the goal. Because when that's the goal, I just want as many people to hear my music as possible. That will lead to ineffective marketing because that will lead to going on to Spotify and trying to figure out how to get tens of thousands of something that will lead to going on to YouTube and trying to figure out how to buy ads so that hundreds of thousands of people will watch your video and you're going to go viral, all of that. And that's the behavior. And that's the kind of marketing that yes, if I run across your campaigns and I look at a video and I see, Ooh, this person has a hundred thousand views or 300,000 streams, Mm. it might look Impressive for the first moment that I look at it, but when you dive deeper and you find out that that's a hollow macro number, that again is not connected to humans, people, people who can help you. That's the part of the conversation that I that I'm interested in talking about and bringing forth. And so this concept of micro marketing is about connection, is about marketing to people who we already know, who already like us, who already trust us, who already have some sense of who we are as artists or people. And this is the relationship to foster. This is antithetical to the kind of marketing that we're reading about, you know, you got to go viral, you got to get a million plays. You got to I I think there is a time and a place for that, but that only works when you've got a true base. You mm-hmm. cannot and a lot of clients that come to us, they're starting they're starting with very few fans or no fans at all, and you've got to start with people that you know. You cannot start in the opposite way and grasp at straws using chatbots on Facebook. Like, that is not how you start to build a fan base.
0: Yes. Relationship building. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Permission to respond with a few thoughts with what you just said.
1: Oh, my God. It's your podcast. Please. You're the
0: guest, (laughs) though. Um, I, I cannot thank you enough and I've been saying that a lot already for saying what you just did. I you, uh, This is literally part of the mission I'm on as an educator. You know, one of my uh, primary bases is actually Mumbai, uh, India where I also am guest faculty at a conservatory. Now, I want to be careful quoting names here because uh, that wouldn't be fair of me but a lot of these students are already very high-profile artists as a result of the conservatory name in itself which is founded by uh, an extremely well-established musician like a grammy award or winning musician uh, as a result of which a lot of students go on to collaborate with him and become overnight rock stars literally they go from 500 to few uh, like cl- close to a half a million followers overnight on instagram three months later nothing else is happening because You know, someone else has been hired for the next studio production. And these are students sometimes in their early 20s who have no clue whatsoever how to cope with a situation like that. All they know is they open their phone one day and it's gone from 600 to a few 20,000, 30,000 followers, and then six months later, this pressure on them. Hey, what, what, what's you know, uh, what's the next step in your huge career? And they have no clue because they were just so not prepared for that onslaught of public exposure. India in itself is is, is one of the most confusing music markets for me. (laughs) And
1: historically has been, right? For sure.
0: Historically has been anyways, but now with the digital revolution, because India is going all all in, it is overwhelmingly uh, uh, confusing. Because um, all uh, a lot of international brands want to cash in on the sheer manpower for it all. I mean, this is a country with a billion plus population. So yeah. needless to say, the numbers are staggering.
1: And everybody's connected with phones now. You know, this wasn't, right, so this wasn't possible 10 years ago when it was like a thing and you had to have a computer and it had to be networked. This this is happening, you know, globally. It's it's really fascinating, it right? And unfortunately, yes, you have a much denser population and things tend to spread like wildfire, probably in a more efficient manner, but you do still have the same, the same global issue, right? The attention span is three seconds and then they've moved on.
0: Additionally, what we're dealing with is the quality of engagement is an entirely different brand. Mm. So, I notice and i and I'm gonna say something which is uh, I don't know I'm probably putting myself out there saying something riskier. The difference between some of the my audiences in India and the quality of their engagement and the difference between some audience in Europe and their engagement they're they're poles apart mm. the amount of time and effort that it'll take one for me to actually have an audience in Europe, it takes way more efforts. Uh, secondly, the manner in which they engage is very, very different. They really take um, take that engagement way more, way more seriously. They're a lot more conservative about giving their information out. They wouldn't sign up for my email list or follow me that easily in the first place. And once they do, it, it they're actually kind of serious about it. I hope I didn't go off on too much of a tangent here.
1: So... You're talking about European audiences ten, tend to take it more seriously or? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Interesting. Um,
0: interesting. Circling back to how this is relevant to, to what you just said, actually, I don't want to get to other context there. The point I was trying to make is for a lot of these younger artists I work with, uh, they seem to be missing out on a vital fundamental rule here, which is quality first and not quantity five qu- genuinely interested members of your audience are actually worth more than 5,000 who just clicked randomly without really knowing why they did so.
1: No question. No question. And I think there's another part of that to add, which is, and this is something Suze Polinski and I have been experimenting with. We love to go and, and hang out together and co-work and we chit chat. She's also known as the rock star advocate, and she's um, a mental el- a mental health advocate, and speaks a lot to musicians about organizing and burnout. And anyway, we've been talking about this micro marketing. Mm-hmm. It's not only about saying like, okay, you need to pick five people out of that tidal wave of five hundred thousand people that just came towards you. It's not only that, it's about understanding what to do with those five people. And that's where we were realizing our clients were falling down. So it's it's one, recognize, okay, I need, I need five or I need 10 or I need to focus on 20, however many it is. But part two of that is understanding how to orchestrate your ask, and also understanding your value in the conversation. So that's another thing that I definitely see with artists. In this desperation to get more and more or to get whatever, you're forgetting your power in the Mm -hmm. conversation and you're forgetting how to creatively put together a plan. So I'm sure that when these artists come to you and they feel devastated and confused and overwhelmed and they don't know, like, okay, I had all this luster and now I don't. There's no one talking about what the roadmap is, and there's tons exactly. of gurus, there's tons of gurus and tons of people and tons of things that you can read, and there's a lot of things I like and resonate with, but. Nobody can take the one size fits all. It's just like back to your your physical personal training conversation, right? Not everybody can do this ten minute workout to make your butt, you know, <laughs> hard as a rock. Like, okay, maybe that works for whoever put that together, but that's not going to work for everyone, right? I can second. So, that. so the so the question then becomes, and this. Also goes back to what we talked about at the very top of this when we, when you asked about like what platform Mm. don't think so much about the platform. Think about the feeling, what brings you joy? What brings you pleasure? What is the mission of the music that you're making? Are Mm. you making music that is meant to have a really deep, Message Like, for example, we're working right now with a beautiful artist based out of Canada. Her name is Gracie Jett. Mm
2: -hmm. Gracie
1: Jett has a day job. Her day job is she's a trauma nurse. Wow. And she's spent a lot of time working in mental institutions in really hard situations where she's dealing with people who are. Maybe having the worst day of their lives, and she's right there. Wow. She also has a sister who's struggling with mental health issues, and her her song is about her sister. And I, I, it's very hard to listen to her song. It actually makes me cry mm. because it's so honest and painful and beautiful. But Gracie Jett has something really important and deep that she wants to share. Now, not everybody has that in their music. That's not everybody's mission. Mm -hmm. Some people just want to have cake on the beach, right? Okay. Like that's fine too. You can eat cake by the ocean. Sorry. Um, you know, some, sometimes it is just about joy or dancing or shaking your butt or telling someone to leave you alone, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not it doesn't always have to be this like heavy mission driven thing. Music fulfills us in so many ways and meets us in so many different places and levels. So understanding what your music is for and what your mission is for is the key to unlocking Mm -hmm. these personal roadmaps, which will start with relationships. So creating this, this sort of back engineering of how to advise an artist that collaborated with an international superstar and had like a moment, and now they're feeling empty and sad, which is, by the way, the nature of, of humanity, right? Yes. Especially, you know, I I, I hearken back to um, the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: can't believe I don't remember. Elizabeth... Oh, it's at the tip of my tongue. I'm going to Google it as we're chatting. But um, (laughs) Elizabeth Gilbert, Elizabeth Gilbert, she Uh wrote Eat, Pray, Uh Love. Okay. So this is a book. It was a global sensation. The book was all about um, a journey that she went on, sort of a memoir that she wrote when she was still very young. Mm -hmm. And it became a global book, right? And so many people read the book and they were inspired by the book. And then Julia Roberts did the movie and, you know, huge book. And she has a TED talk which I I love for all artists to watch, where she talks about the fact that she she starts her TED talk saying, "I have already peaked. I've already had my crazy moment where I went all you know my thing that I created had a global thing." It, she's not saying she's a one-hit wonder, but she's saying predictably, if you look at the history of how art is, especially with writers most writers have the one book that is like the smash global hit. And then they write other books and they do fine, but you don't usually have your white hot smash Mm. more than. And so I liken that these, this artists that you're working with that have this moment. And by the way, you will jump from precipice to precipice, but there's going to be valleys on your journey. You don't just leap From precipice to precipice, you have to go down the hill and up the hill and down the hill and up the hill. And sometimes you take the wrong turn and you're lost in a weird forest for a day and you don't know what's going on. That's how I look at a career. Wow, and so this jumping from like white hot exciting thing to the next that is reserved for superhumans like Rihanna and Taylor Swift, and you know, okay, now we've got Fenty and now we've got the Super Bowl, and now we've got some other thing. it's oh my gosh, it's amazing, and okay, that's not how it looks like for most mere mortals mm. so so to tie that back to the feeling, if you are not connected to what it is you're trying to say. And by the way, you might want to say, I'm here to shake my butt and dance in 2024. And in 2026, you might want to talk about mental health. This does not have to be that you're choosing one message and one brand and one thing forever. But it does be while I'm here focusing on what I'm focusing on right now, what is my micro roadmap and who are the people that I can help and who are the people that can help me along this tiny part of the journey. And let's choose five of them. Mm.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like figuring out your why.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. I mean, right now, it's funny, you're, you're helping me kind of unpack this concept of micro-marketing, which I've been juggling around in my head so right now you're one of my five people
0: thank you and, and i'm happy to be your long term uh, of one of five people by the way you know what is also the, the, this conversation is pretty lit because i'm telling you I uh, i'm literally working on a course right now called artist mind map there you go yeah so it's like so there you go. <laughs> literally identical words being thrown about here I'd love to share it with you if you're uh, open to having it located at point. I
1: would love, love, love to see it. So this is it. And this is the good stuff. And this is where the power is. And Mm. there might be some artists, actually, there might be a lot of artists listening to this going, well, I'm an introvert and I like to be in a studio and I'm not this networker, blah, blah, blah. This is not about that. This is not what I'm talking about. Mm. Even the most, introverted, self-reflective people can do this kind of micro planning. Okay. It's about people. It is not about, I mean, I, I tend to um, hear this quite a lot because I, I am an extrovert and I do derive a lot of pleasure and energy from being around other people and sh- and and that's my thing. That's fine. That's mm-hmm. not everyone's thing. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And I have noticed a lot of artists you're cerebral. You make music. You're in your studio. You're creating. You're holding your instrument. That's that's oftentimes a solitary endeavor. And again, that's totally fine. But even the most Introverted, solitary people need other people to help them get out into the world.
0: Yeah, so true. It's so easy to isolate ourselves as artists.
1: Oh, it's so easy. And especially now, you know, all these studies about loneliness and what this pandemic has done to us. There was a very, very telling article in the New York Times just this past week Something crazy, I'm not going to quote it right, but we're not having intimate relationships like so sex true. anymore. Yeah, yeah it's so like, true. it's it's so weird. Like like this past few years has really, um, has really, really affected us. It, so, you know, in, in all domains, in all places. So this is, again, something to be just aware of. And... And I think the antidote for this is figuring out, again, what is the micro-relationship that you can make, that you can have, that you can foster, that's going to help you push your music out, your brand out, your message out, your why out. And for those of you cringing, thinking like, I don't want to go ask people, blah, 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 Think of, think of a reverse engineer. What mm-hmm. is it that you offer? What is it that you offer? What could you give someone? You know, someone called me up just last week. They run a successful PR firm and they were struggling and just not sure about what their next was. And they said, can we just have a conversation? I said, sure. Within 20 minutes, we identified, oh, Something, And we're chatting about it, chatting about it. And then within 25 minutes, she said something that was so generous. She said, how is it I can help you? Mm. What is it I can do for you? And I said, well, you know, not really much. I don't, I don't need anything. I just, you know, this is about you. And then five minutes later, we found something <laughs> that she could deeply help me with. That something that I've really needed help with. And I hired her to help me with that. But it took us 35 minutes to get there. So good. So I think that's the other thing, is being brave enough to explore and not having the answer when you find the person.
0: Vulnerability.
1: Yeah, there's a tool that I that I just... Um, found out about online called lunch club. Have you heard of lunch club? Lunch club? No. Yeah. It's, it's a tool. If you just Google lunch club, you sign up through your LinkedIn and you can tell it who you'd like to meet, the kinds of conversations you're interested in having and, and um, what it is you'd like to, to learn about and, and what it is you're available to offer to people. That's and amazing. it's amazing. It works on AI. It's like an AI kind of matching site, sort of like a dating site, but it's not for dating. I was it's just for about
0: to say, it in- sounds like Tinder for adults.
1: It's, it's like, t- it's like an intellectual exchange. Yeah. So, so, okay. So this is, I think so brilliant for artists who like, they, you don't have a fan base. You don't even know like, where to start and you had your moment or you tried to do something, start with lunch club, sign up, hmm. tell it one hour a week when you're available. Could be 9. AM on a Tuesday. It could be 6. PM on a Thursday, whenever tell it what it is you'd like to talk about and what your interests are and what you have to offer. And let me tell you, musicians that make music have something to offer. Absolutely. Everyone in the world. That's the truth. And set up, one lunch club a week and how it works is that matches you with someone and you can read their bio and figure out who they are and what they do. And then you get on a zoom or it's a, they have a link, they send you a link and then there is a person. I had the most incredible conversation with a developer who lives in upstate New York a couple of weeks ago. And he's working with all of these musicians, like creating a platform for collaboration. It was so cool. He's also this really interesting piano player. And he went to the new school and he makes like really esoteric, trippy, crazy piano-based music. I never would have met this person. Never. I never would have found this person. And we had an amazing one-hour conversation. Really special. So good. So, So this could be something that you could do this is an example of a micro networking moment
0: fantastic i want to dig a little deeper into this in a bit but i do want to with your permission rewind slightly to that new york times article you referred to about our Mm. inability to um to be intimate our uh, lack of skills at intimacy per se um because i find um, that analogy of that the correlations between sexuality and arts always very prevalent for multiple reasons. Um, I mean, I have a background in yoga as well, and it is said that um, the so-called chakras for creativity and sexuality are identical. It's literally the same chakra. So the correlations between creativity and sexuality have been like a human um, uh, condition from, from the beginning of time. So my question to you is, do you think that's the result of actually our decreasing skill at intimacy or is it the hyper sexualization of society in this day and age?
1: I think you just answered the question. I think yes and yes.
0: Wow. I love it when I do that, answer my own questions.
1: You really did. I mean I think you just <laughs> nailed I think you just nailed the two reasons why I mean I mean it's fascinating. 50% less sex? Like that's Really? I didn't even know. Where's this from? It's the New York Times. It's like, it's, I'm I'm actually like Googling around right now to find it. Um, There is one called, I love you and I don't want to sleep with you. That's another article in the New York Times about how more and more couples are sleeping separately in separate beds Mm. as a result of this pandemic. Because, Mm. you know, we weren't, were we supposed to like, you know, were we supposed to spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with our with our people, like no, we weren't. Um, so there, there's that. But going back to this really interesting thing that you just said, I think part of this and, and our loneliness mm. is coming from social media. There's, there's a lot of articles and studies that, that are showing that, you know that we feel lonelier and more disconnected than ever before as a direct result of the fact that we're turning to social media yep. to make connections.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're not real. Yes. Um, I think also, if I look at how a lot of my friends, tweens and teens are communicating, and I I even look at how some of the Gen Z interns that I have and younger people on my staff, they would rather die than pick up a telephone and call someone. Like, there's so much fear around actual human contact Mm. in that way. No problem texting you know a friend of mine is is mentoring a few young people right now and she's very high up in the music industry and she's like i can't stand it they're they're these these kids are helping me you know build a build a website and not one of them will ever call me to discuss it and they're sending me all these texts mm. and this is not how older people are used to communicating Um, And so it's really,
0: I was about to say, I I was about to bring up age. Um, I don't want to be rude and ask how old you are, but I'm 43. (laughs) I hit 44 next month. And I had the privilege, the enormous privilege of having lived without any internet for the first 13 years of my life. I can't begin to be more grateful for that. And I asked myself, I mean, I I think I caught on to the whole digital culture pretty quickly because I grew up on four countries and keeping in touch with people in different parts of the world uh, made things... um, Easier, old digital uh, culture made that easier. So part of me was relieved, but I am also acutely aware of the the changing nature of these same relationships. I think at this point, I, it'd be safe to say it's harmed most of some of the most important relationships that it has done any good. It's yes. literally destroyed relationships with people uh, I considered really important in my life.
1: Yeah. Interesting. And I mean, if you think of it from a global perspective, it's, it's destroyed countries and nations. Look at how it's it's divided us, you know, it's just so, so yes. And these, these tools, which at first, and, and, you know, I have a lot of trepidation and, and, and shame around. I was one of the earliest people in the room in 2020. 2007 and 8 going everybody has to get on twitter oh my god it's amazing you can connect connect with everyone and share every that's thought you the dichotomy. have <laughs>
0: it is amazing but it's also like any other amazing force it is equally destructive as well the potential that's right. is that's right. staggering. and it,
1: it has absolutely been weaponized and there's there's that's a whole other podcast but but <laughs> and you're right i do love it i love knowing where my friends in in europe are and and all these people that that were important to me in my life it's so nice to kind of check in on them, even if it's only a few times a year, like, Oh, John's in California and this person's here and this person's there. And it's lovely, but it's not real catching up. And you are right. It, it is, it is definitely contributing to why we are less intimate as people, because we don't even know how anymore, because when you're, communicating through a device it's not real communication I mean it's
0: let me let me be completely opportunistic and use this moment to ask you a very unfair question so how in God's name are artists supposed to navigate this paradox
1: yeah exactly (laughs) exactly again It does go back to quality of communication. It goes back to understanding how to connect dots between having online. Look, it can be, the internet can be a great icebreaker. Mm -hmm. You could post something. Someone could say, oh, wow, I really was moved by what you just posted. And then you can, you can, start direct messaging that person and then you could find out that that person lives in the same city as you or that you're going to be touring and that person could come and see you live and then you could have a real relationship mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Y- you could go and someone could follow you and stay in touch with you. I mean, these these are things that do create connective tissue and 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 the fabric of our lives. However, if these are the only ways that you are communicating... This is why I'm encouraging get on Lunch Club or look at the people who make the most comments in your direct messages on your socials and ask yourself, have you ever met this person? Should I meet this person? Should I talk to this person? What if I scheduled 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes like I did with Angela and we found out something that would benefit both of us tremendously in 30 minutes? What if you just had a phone call? Yeah.
0: So true. A wise man once said, if something's working out well online, the first thing you want to do is uh, take it offline as soon as possible. I say wise man because it actually was a man, just to clarify.
1: Yeah, there you go. I mean, back in the day when I was internet dating, uh, uh, someone that I was interested in going on a date with, we started, you know, chatting a lot online and he said, I think we need to meet. Yeah. Very soon. Yeah. And that was real, that was right. That was right. And we met and we did not hit it off and he was a nice person, but whatever, it wasn't a date thing. But we could have gone on for weeks emailing and texting and sharing things. And that was like a real, that's really good advice. Yeah.
0: I am, however, intrigued, though, and, and I say this uh, not to go off on the tangent on um, on dating, which could be another podcast as well, Dating for Musicians. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole, <laughs> I could write a book on that, Dating for Artists and Musicians. But um, um, I also have made the experience that there is something about texting, when used properly, or online communication, it also, and especially with artists, seems to free them, liberate them to communicate things that they probably potentially might have been too shy to talk about in person. Yes. And I'm wondering, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm on the fence.
1: I don't know. I think it depends what you're sharing. I think mm, it so true. It really it really depends. It, and that's the thing. And I have seen this with some of my clients that they can be quite rude and harsh and a bit abrasive on email. And then I'm like, wait a minute, what is happening here? Right. What's so happening true. here is they're hiding behind a device and whatever, right. it's the middle of the night and they're upset about something and I'm here. And so they open up their browser and blah, 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 vomit. Yep. vomit. And I've seen this, <laughs> not even with like real clients that are paying, but with once in a while, like I'll have a, I'll have a offer that I'll make on my, you know, I'm selling a book for half off or whatever and someone can't download it and they're upset and it's the middle of the night and they want to read the book and they can't download it and they test it and they can't find it. And they send like, they send the nastiest email, the nastiest, like, like, rudest, most horrible. And like, we open the email, my team and I in the morning and we're like, oh my gosh, while we were sleeping, this person was like rage emailing us because they couldn't download my ebook fan first. And then we write back, hey, we're so sorry that you couldn't find it. Um, Here is the attachment. And we're so, you know, might be in your promotions folder, might be in your spam or, hey, we noticed that you signed up with a completely different email address. You might want to check that one. Um, And in the case of last week, I had a woman literally attacking me. I paid for a press release and you didn't provide it to me. And I want my money back and I'm going to report you. And I wrote her back and I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I never, I don't write press releases. Like I don't sell press releases. I don't know what you're talking about. You are on my email list, but you haven't opened an email since 2018. So I'm pretty sure, and I looked in all of, I looked in Stripe, I look in PayPal, like you have not paid for anything from me and I'm, I apologize, but I think you maybe purchased this from another provider. Do you want to go back in your email and look?
0: Oh, my God.
1: Three days later, she writes me the most apologetic email. I'm so sorry. You're right. There was another digital PR firm I bought. Oh, my God. And I just got confused. I thought I bought it from you. It wasn't you. Oh,
0: my God. That is so ridiculous. I mean... It's so
1: ridiculous. But it's also... I had the humanity to answer her in a nice way and not like that could have escalated. Right. That could have,
0: I would have lost it.
1: It it could have, I mean, my team and I were like, Oh my gosh, this poor woman, she's really angry. But again, in the case of the client that's upset, you pick up the telephone and you say, Hey, I think we need to talk this through. You seemed like you were really upset. Oh no, 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 no. I wasn't upset. It was just the middle of the night. And I just found out that my collaborator, you know, canceled and I was upset, you know, like, there's always a reason why people don't act with integrity, right? Hearing mm. a human voice, having a, a moment of sheer kindness towards someone. And that woman actually ended up writing back deeply apologizing again. I'm so sorry. I've, I've really liked your blog and it's helped me over the years. And again, and oh my God, you know, like she felt really bad that she had reacted like that. Mm. Yeah. So, again, this is talking about how you can so easily get, things can get lost in translation. And you're right, the oversharing. I mean, think about all these idiot men that shared intimate pictures of their private parts. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, oh, this hiding yeah. behind a computer, I mean, obviously that has very to do Very symbolic,
0: also being, actually, very symbolic to, and the, yeah. the context we are talking about
1: But it's just, you know, the safety of something that feels intimate is not, you know, we read these these absolute horrible stories of, you know, young girls that were coerced into sharing photos and it ends up ruining their lives at school. And, you know, all of these things, that's the extreme case of something really bad happening. But again, you can easily divulge too much information via text because you're hiding behind a screen. You've had a bad day. You had one too many glasses of wine or three too many espressos or whatever, you know, and you're just over communicating in a way that maybe isn't healthy.
0: So true. I think it's no coincidence that the word safety comes up here. I think that might just be the crux of pretty much all we've been talking about till now.
1: (laughs) And I don't even know. I mean, this is, this is a really deep one. It's a big one. And it's, we've you know, anyone that's listening to this going, well, where's my marketing tips? <laughs> um, <laughs> this is like the philosophies that I, I always say, like, I really do feel like in many cases, I'm, I don't want to say a psychiatrist because I am not a mental health professional, but I I, I do oftentimes get really, really conscious about how confronting all of this communication stuff is. And also the dichotomy of I made music and I want to share music. And now there has to be all these other things that I'm expected to share photographs, mm-hmm. videos, texts, oh, yeah. emojis, mm-hmm. hashtags, all this stuff you have to unpack. I don't think anybody or, or not the mentally sane of us. There's not one musician that picked up an instrument going, I can't wait to put this on Instagram. I'm pretty sure of it. Right. That's yeah. not, is driving you to make the music in the first place, mm-hmm. unless you're some sort of weird psychopath. So, mm-hmm. so there's that too, which is which is really going back to where we started this conversation with the safety and the joy and and what makes you joy, yeah. feel good um, about what you're doing.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Those words. <laughs> Let me help my listeners out a little with the marketing. Thing. <laughs> we
1: so are really too, all over the place.
0: I don't think so at all because I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to nail it when I say, here's the thing, for most of us artists, we associate something inherently sleazy with the words marketing. Yes. And I think it's exactly, people like you are changing that paradigm. Again, an overused word and like, taking us back, like really reverse engineering the entire process and reminding us, hey, marketing is not your enemy. It's your friend, maybe even your best friend. Marketing is that bridge between you and your audience. And it's not something you have to be a secondhand car salesman about. Yes. But you want to go back and put in the same degree and the same nature of work and exploring what your core values are. Yes. In mastering that part of your job in the way you did with your music.
1: Yes. Yes, 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 yes. There's that. And there's also finding your comfort. One of my greatest coaches in my life. If you go to my blog, you will see, she has been interviewed multiple times and I cite her. Her name is Julie Flanders. Mm -hmm. Julie Flanders is in a band called the October project. She's the the main co-writer and now singer, but back when they were signed to a major label and touring the world, she was just the writer. Mm. And she is an amazing coach and guide and many creative people come to her to be coached and to get guidance and she is masterful at helping people get unblocked around things. Mm. And she does not like self-promotional marketing and she's actually kind of allergic to it. Mm. She's the first to admit this. Um, she doesn't like it and how she gets all of her clients is through word of mouth. Wow. That's it. The real deal. I also have an amazing hairdresser (laughs) who is also a priest who can perform sacred ceremonies. And she was also married me and my husband, but she started as my hairdresser. She also, there is, sorry. No, right. No website. You cannot Google her. You cannot find reviews. You cannot find her on Instagram. You need to meet someone who has worked with her and she moves through the world, totally making a fantastic living. She owns two homes and has a gorgeous life through word of mouth. So not, it doesn't have to be the way that a lot of these marketing blogs are making you think that it has to be.
0: That sounds like the dream. It's, um, I do have one friend uh, who's an extremely successful uh, drummer slash producer who completely went offline. Uh, And I always thought the reason uh, he could afford to do that is because he was one half of a very well-established band Mm. and the other half does the social media and they have a team and whatnot. But you just actually reinstilled hope in that model.
1: But here's the thing you also have to ask yourself. And this is another thing that certainly in the United States is never gets talked about, you know, the only, the only thing, and I am an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for 26 years. I've run my own music marketing and public relations company. And there is this bizarre pitfall that many business owners and entrepreneurs fall in, including myself, which is you are not good unless you gross a million dollars a year. You are not worthy unless mm. you you have a seven-figure income. You yep. are not, you have not made it unless there is a certain threshold for income.
0: Do you think safety plays a role here again?
1: I don't know if it's safety that plays a role. I think that, listen, I, I subscribed to this for a while, about 10 years into my career or, or maybe a little more, I started going to a lot of entrepreneurial marketing conferences and and studying, you know, how to systematize my business and 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 all of this and the the lines about well you're nothing unless you have a million dollars were so prevalent in those rooms and i hired some high-level coaches to help me, and the same thing. Well, you're not grossing a million dollars, so therefore we got to scale up, scale up, scale up. And so I scaled up, and I did it. I got to the place where my company was grossing a million dollars, and I was never as unhappy as I was during that time.
0: May I ask you why?
1: Why? Because... I run a service-based business and most musicians run a service-based business. Like if you're if you're a musician and you're gigging, you are in a service-based business. So, so understand that, like you are getting out in front of people. You are making something with your hands yes. that you must, you must not every gig you play is the same. You have to, you have to cater it to, if you're a producer, you're catering it to your client. If you're making music with other people, you're catering it to their music, but that's a service-based idea, okay? I'm not talking about the kind of business. The kind of business that is scalable is a business that manufactures things, widgets or drums or guitars. I can make a lot of those and sell a lot of them. And when a lot of people come and they want to buy my guitars and I realize like well, I've got something great here, I can figure out how to hire more people to make more guitars and sell more of those and that... Yep is not a service-based business. Okay, so here I am. I'm in a service-based business, which means there is a certain amount of high touch that needs to happen. And I'm getting coached about, you know, this is how you make a million dollars. How do you make a million dollars a year? I'll tell you. You need to gross $83,000 a month. 83 times 12 equals a million. Mm -hmm. $83,000 a month times 12 equals a million. So Mm -hmm. if you're curious, you can just reverse engineer that, right? So if you want to make... $120,000 $120,000 a year you have to make $10,000 a month, right? Okay. So mm-hmm. 83 it's like 83.333, right? So that's how much. So we reverse engineered, okay, I sell PR campaigns and I sell them for like I don't know 2 or $3,000 for a whole campaign. So then we had to figure out okay, to to make $83,000 we had to sell 40 campaigns a month. Mm. In order to sell 40 campaigns a month, we did the math again. I had to talk to, let's say, every five people I talked to, one was ready to buy. So I, I'm, I'm not great at math, but let's let's continue to kind of play with that as a number. And, and you will soon begin to see why I was so unhappy, right? So um, calculator, here we go. Okay, so to get to 83,000 a month, Let's divide by three. Okay, so that means I needed to, if this $3,000 campaign, and by the way, those campaigns are three months long. Wow. So every time I sell a $3,000 campaign, I have that client for three months. So every month I'm selling 30, let's just round up, 30 campaigns a month. Let's say I need to talk to five musicians in order for one of them To be in the right place, they first of all they have to like my agency. They have to like what I'm selling. They have to have the right amount of money, and they have to make sure that I'm the right choice. So five times thirty. That means I had to talk to 150 people per month.
0: Oh my god!
1: To get thirty to sign up. So let's say um, we work five days a week. That's twenty. Okay. So I had to talk to an average of eight people a day every single day, Ooh. every working day, eight people. Let's say every conversation was a half an hour long. That's four hours a day. Let's say I was working a 12-hour day, which I was. That's one third of my day. If you're a normal human being and you have like a family that's you work an eight-hour day, you're talking to people for four hours a day, that's half of your work day to get five people to buy $33,000, right? You see how we're doing this? Okay, so yeah. why was I unhappy?
0: You were tired.
1: I was exhausted. Mm. I never got off the phone. I was constantly having sales calls and then I had to deliver the product. So the uh, guru said, well, you have to hire all these people and you can't be doing all that. You have to have these people do it. You have to hire all these publicists and they have to do all the work. So I had a team of people. So then I had to hire the people to manage the team. And I had to like write all the systems and put everything into place. And then I had a team of people and they were doing all the publicity, but the people that were calling me and talking to me, they wanted me, they were hiring me. But then all of a sudden they were given other people on my team and, That was surprising. They didn't necessarily like that. So then they were upset. And guess what? When you have an upset client, who do they want to talk to? You. Yes, me. So I was spending 50% of my time selling and the other 50% of my time listening to people who were upset because they didn't like what they bought because we were doing too much and we couldn't couldn't provide. And I was grossing a million dollars and I was miserable because... I got out of the thing that gave me joy. The thing that gives me joy is talking to musicians, is figuring out what they like and how their mission statement fits in with their marketing and coming up with ideas and creatively thinking and talking through when they're scared or upset or confronted or something didn't go right or they don't know which single to put out. Like that's the stuff that I want to get up in the morning to do. Yes, I love having exploratory sales calls. That's also part of my job, but that's not my whole job. And it sucks when clients are upset and angry and pissed off. And that's not a part of my job that I like. That's just, again, you're always going to have like the person that you worked with in the studio and they were pissed off and they didn't like it. And that sucks, but that hopefully only happens to you once or twice a year. If you're a producer, you just didn't have the right chemistry. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But all day long, Talking to people who are pissed sucks. So back to this crazy idea that you are nothing if you don't gross a million dollars a year or whatever huge number. How many phone calls do you need to make to get a really good gig?
0: Oh my God, I don't even want to think about it.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, How uh, many phone calls do you need to make in order to find the right Anything for you, right? It takes time and energy and effort. And so to be told that you aren't succeeding because you don't have some sort of massive scalable thing is maybe not the best way to look at your career. So back to the sense of micro marketing, micro networking, micro business ownership, in order for my PR agency, to stay really successful and in order for me to be really happy and get to do what I love, which is talk to artists. And I like to have time to write books and write my blog. And I do love to spend time with my family and all of that. When I filed my taxes this year, I had worked for 75 musicians. Wow. Some of them paid me 3000 some of them paid me much more than that, and I stayed with them for the whole year, and I worked with them almost on a daily basis, and my team did all their publicity, so the price tag was much higher, but I served 75 people, and I have a life that makes me happy, I have constant communication with my clients and my team, and that makes me happy and gives me joy and fulfills me because that's why I started in the first place. I didn't start to have only sales calls and only upset people calls. And I'm okay that I don't gross a million dollars a year because I don't need a million dollars a year to live the lifestyle that I live.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. That That is very meaningful stuff. Again, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, sounds like you kind of realigned your what and how back to your why.
1: Exactly. And... I get so many requests for artists that they fill out a form on my website. If you're interested in working with us, it says, like, tell me about yourself and tell me what it is you want to do. Mm -hmm. And so many musicians write to me saying, I just want to make a living from my art. I just want to quit my day job. I just want to only do my music and only do my art. Only, only, only,
0: only.
1: And I get it. But do you?
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's out um, I, I I I would take I would tend to agree with you. Do you? It's it's so much. It's so not as simple as that.
1: It's not as simple as that. Mm. And that's another whole other conversation. Which, <laughs> is a, which is which is about hyphenated careers. Which, you if go. you're interested yeah. in that, um, yes. I did a an interview on my podcast with Ileana Kadushin, who's an amazing musician, podcaster, voiceover artist she has an incredibly successful hyphenated career Mm. and artists that I see who can manage hyphenated careers are the ones who I think are doing better. They are thriving. They are, and look, you have to really ask yourself, and I've seen this also. Clients have come to me in tears saying, I would rather die than play someone else's music and I don't want to be on the road with anyone else and I only want to make my own music. Mm-hmm. You know, very few of us get that as, as their reality.
0: The word artist being redefined on so many levels right now.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's about... Derek Sivers wrote about this years ago in one of his books. It, it was so brilliant. He was like, here's my advice. Take a job that isn't crazy and demanding, where they're not like owning you and texting you 24 hours a day and slacking you and killing you. Mm-hmm. Take a job that you like enough, that pays you well, that you can do from whatever, nine to five or eight to four or whatever, and it pays you and you can leave it behind. But you still have responsibility in that job and do your art in the time that you're not making your money. Get your money part out of the way so that when you're making your art or doing your art or considering how and where you want your art to go in the world, it doesn't have to be contingent upon how many direct dollars you're gonna make in that moment? Now this is not to say starve for your art and make no money from your art. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is to say that in a world where seventy thousand freaking tracks a day are going up on Spotify, in a world where you're getting paid zero, you know point zero 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 seventh of a cent for every stream, in a world where, If you tell that cafe owner that you don't want to play for tips, that 50 other artists are going to line up and take that gig, you might want to figure out where money can come from still allowing you to do the thing that gives you the joy and the pleasure and gets you out in front of people and figure out the monetization when you're not coming from a place of sheer desperation.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. I have a few thoughts I'd love to share in response to that. I want to hear one. Artists have had hyphenated careers all throughout history. It's only now that the term hyphenated is being used. If you think back to a pianist back in the 18th century, all he did was play piano. In this day and age, most piano players, well, contemporary piano players, unless they have a very traditional, conservative, classical career, will play keyboards up until even 30 years back. Uh, some of my colleagues who were pianists thought of playing keyboards as a transition into the career. I play keyboards now. It sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And then keyboardists became producers, became songwriters, became, I don't know, booking agents and started filling out other uh, scopes in um, the music industry. And then went on, then there's obviously educators and and so on. I, I run a freelancing uh, writing gig and so on. It's only now that people have come to realize that being hyphenated as a professional artist is part of the deal the whole time. It was the whole time. We just didn't realize it. And we just never used it to our advantage. That's one. And
1: yeah. And I think there's also the, the hiding, right? All those people posting on Instagram that are making you feel terrible because it looks like they're making a full-time living making music. Most of them aren't. I'm sorry, I just interrupted you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, not at all. That's very true, and we'd have to define what making, what full-time music even is. I mean, no one can do music full-time. I mean, what does making music full-time even mean? Playing music 24 hours a day—that makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's a very vague term that's established itself as like the ultimate trophy to carry as an artist but very few people have actually taken a minute to unpack what it even was meant to signify in the first place um, se- secondly uh, I also think that in, in, an, in a world where the music industry is as lost as it is in this day and age I think getting a day job is a fantastic way to protect your
1: art From your lips to God's ears, uh, really, (laughs) I think that that is so, so true. Really, like... Thank you. Yes, that's what Derek Sivers was saying. It is an act of protecting your art. Again, you have to be mindful of the job that you're taking. It cannot be working at Google, right? It cannot be like a, a giant soul-sucking, time-consuming career. The Mm. career is you making music. The means of making money is something else.
0: Yes. And that can be so deceptive. I gave up tenure for the German government a couple of years back uh, as a music coach. And you'd think that would be very much in alignment with my goals as a musician, but they were completely... Uh, in conflict with them, with each other, at some point. It sounds counterintuitive on the surface, but it, you know, there's also so much more uh, than meets the eye with these decisions.
1: And I bet also for you to give up something that's safe and secure like that, you were not in alignment with whatever your bigger picture for yourself was, your mission for yourself Absolutely. was. Absolutely. Your mission, there was nothing in your mission, and I don't know you, but this is an assumption I'm going to jump to. Please. Your mission was not, I need to be safe. I need to have this. For some people, I have a friend, she grew up in a trailer. She had no money. It was really hard. She remembers not having food as a child. For her, having a tenured job is and was her main mission in her life. Mm. That was important to her, safety and security, having a job that had that kind of pay and to never have to have the consideration she had growing up. And she also makes music and has a lot of other things she does. But the core value for her was that. So again, sort of going back to, and it's okay. There's no shame in that. Yeah. But it's interesting. Like when you really do begin to delve into- If there's something that's rubbing up against where you're not deriving the joy and the pleasure, so many artists come to me and they're so upset about marketing and they hate it and they don't want to do it and they don't like social media and they're private. I'm like, well, then why are you doing it? Mm. Nobody has to go do Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, blah, 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 blah. What if you just started a text messaging list for a hundred people and you only communicated with them? What if you just played... Music for your own pleasure, and a few times a year, invite your friends over and play what you're working on for them. Like, maybe that's how it wants to show up. It doesn't have to be that you have a million followers anywhere. Yes,
0: so true. And we're back to psychology.
1: Yeah, we are.
0: I want to respect your time. FYI, you're at one hour, 18 minutes, and uh, you've officially qualified for the Intercontinental Drive slot, which is, uh, (laughs) it's a joke now, like someone I'd love to go on an Intercontinental Drive with. But I do want to respect your time. Um, So I have a couple of burning questions, which I'm sure my listeners would be very happy to um, get privy to. One, you do talk a lot about building an email list and the essential nature of that as an independent artist. And which is something uh, I'm um, an advocate for as well. My question to you is, like you, I have an entrepreneurial... Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't compare but I've started what is loosely uh, referable as an entrepreneurial journey in the past few years, uh, wherein uh, the importance of building an, an e- email list is very apparent. You know, nurturing those emails, setting up automations, working on funnels and lead magnets and so on. The, thing i struggle with is when you're thinking as an entrepreneur which is something we ought to be doing as musicians anyway because we are uh, entrepreneurs by default but if i'm for example if i'm selling i'm being completely transparent here coaching services um or um any any service or any course or uh, something as a service-based entrepreneur or whatever I know my ultimate sale, so as to speak, by nurturing those emails, getting those leads, is to sell a product I th- that sounds horrible, but I'm just being clean here, which will eventually get me revenue. And I don't see how that same result is reached by building a list as a musician, as an artist. And this is one question I'd love to pick your brain on because I, I understand the importance of nurturing an email list generally. But as musicians and artists, what's the end goal? When I work as a coach, I know my end goal is to sell a product, a course or um, coaching services. What's my end goal as an artist when I'm nurturing those emails?
1: This is precisely why we see so many artists failing because those coaching in a box, guru in a box, solutions in courses, a lot of them are leading us to like, okay, you're going to build an email list and then you're going to sell a (laughs) t-shirt. Okay, well, um, I most musicians' communities don't want an extra large white t-shirt. Like, it's just (laughs) such a stupid coaching, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Right. So this is where it goes back to what we've been talking about. And it's about... Who in your community can help you it's not yes it is about selling it is about first of all you have to build an email list because you don't want mark zuckerberg owning your communications and you certainly don't want ByteDance, dance which is a chinese company that we don't even know what the hell it is yeah. owning our communications yeah. okay yep. we already know we don't want daniel eck own all of our streams, but he does and it sucks. Okay. So let's, let's just say that. Thank you. Now, statistically, the marketing people say an email is 35 times more valuable than any kind of social media communication. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's, we know that now. Mm -hmm. Great. And I think your addition to this question is so good because unless you're selling guitar lessons or widgets or t-shirts and God bless you and love you. If you're, if your people want to buy t-shirts, but maybe they don't, (laughs) you know, you're building this list and you have to ask them for things. Okay. What are you going to ask them for? Yeah. This is where this Kevin Kelly communication that started back in the early aughts, the thousand true fans comes into play. Mm. And it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a amorphous, uh, I don't know. It's 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 been hammered to death. But just for those of you that don't know what the heck the philosophy of a thousand true fans is, mm-hmm. it means you have a thousand people in your world on your mailing list, actually a thousand active people. So if you want a thousand active people and you have a 30% open rate and you want a thousand people to open your email, you need to have an email list of like 15 to 20,000. Anyway, I digress. A thousand true fans says this. I have 1,000 fans a year that pay me $100, whether that's tickets, coaching, productions, they buy drum beats, they buy extra large white t-shirts, they buy a music lesson on Zoom, they buy a private house concert, they buy an experience that I'm providing as a musician. They buy something equal to $100, 1,000 of them do that and you make $100,000 a year. That's the premise. Mm -hmm. So then it goes back to kind of like what I was just talking about when I pulled up in the calculator and I'm like, okay, how many clients does cyber PR need a year in order for me and my team to live like a really happy life? Well, the answer is 75. How many people would you need to have to want to buy something for you? And yes, the icky, icky, scary part here is like, you do actually have to have something that you are selling. Right. Whether that is your skills as a side artist, maybe you're an amazing percussionist and you can offer that. Maybe you're selling uh, beats. Maybe you're selling an opportunity to record scratch tracks for people because you're a great vocalist. Maybe you're selling something that you make that's, Again, part of your hyphenated career. I actually interviewed a musician a few years ago. She started an entire Patreon because her other thing that she did in her life was she was a master baker. Wow. And she baked pies and cakes and wedding cakes. Do you know how expensive a wedding cake is? It's like ridiculous, thousands of dollars. Wow. She would bake wedding cakes for people on her list. She created this cool Patreon idea where once a month, She would meet 12 people in Central Park and she would make something for that month. So Valentine's Day, she made like beautiful heart-shaped butter cookies. In Mm. the fall, she made delicious cinnamon apple pie. And you would pay like a hundred bucks a month. It was expensive, but you would like go and meet her and she would serve these delicious treats and she would do a little acoustic performance.
0: Wow. That is so beautiful.
1: It was so cool. And you could, you could like get your wedding cake or your birthday cake for your baby or your retirement cake or your mother's birth, whatever. And so she created this like, this list that was interested in baking and music. And she talked about the two things. So you're building your list, you are not going to sell only extra, extra large white t shirts and you're probably not TL and you're not creating an entire coaching modality for musicians to buy. However, you are selling something and you must figure out what is it you're selling and what is it you're asking.
0: Mm. So invent a product.
1: Invent a product, even if there's only one of it.
0: So for the 20-something upcoming artist who is... Riding the highs of her dopamine hits from <laughs> social media every time someone likes her, yeah. or, she, or, or her day. Uh, sorry, I should be careful what I say. No, it's um, no, it's uh, true. Uh, what what's the incentive I give them to focus on their email list instead? What do I? A lot of them are you know aren't even really clear on what their artistic profile is. Forget inventing a product to sell to their non-existent audience on their email list.
1: Yeah. I think part of it is like saying that it's a product is the problem, Mm. you know, and and this also goes back to the hyphenated career. I worked for an amazing musician. I don't want to name names because she might not be comfortable with this, but I watched her. She was, Mm -hmm. you know, really doing it and like had a great band and was touring and, and putting out albums and doing really well. And, um, she was really, really good at social media, like like making really beautiful social posts and people were reacting to her and she had a really good vibe and a really good sense of her brand.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So how he decided to do it was she built her a small mailing list. And one day she's like, hey, this email is not about a gig we have or a new single coming out. I am starting a little um, side hustle, little boutique business if you like our social media and you like the way these emails look and you like what I've done, I would really love to um, collaborate with three artists. And I will, I will coach you on social media and help you make the kind of beautiful images and graphics and videos and emails that I make. Mm-hmm. If anyone's interested, contact me. Nice. And sure enough, she got three clients immediately. Huh. And now she's got a business which is perfect for her. She can still tour. She can still do everything she does, but she's got like five or six clients and she does their social media and she coaches them and she makes like beautiful reels and graphics and and it's a great little business. So maybe that's how this shows up. Figure out what you can sell and sell one of it. Don't worry about scaling or any of it use that email list. Or I know younger people are like, well, no one I know uses email. No one I know. There's this whole argument. I get it. However, when most of you grow up, most of you will go get jobs and most of those jobs will require the use of email communication every day and you will eventually use email. So- It is okay to build an email list. You could start a text messaging list. If you're wildly uncomfortable with the notion of like building an email list, you can have a text messaging list. Maybe that's where some of your more resistant younger artists are going to start. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So if you're freaked out about like the whole email thing, you could still own your text messaging and just figure out one thing, one thing to sell. Maybe you like vintage clothing shops and you found a really beautiful, cool hat. Sell that. Mm. You know, don't go crazy about what is it, how am I, blah, 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 freaking out. Just flex the muscle of, I'm going to use my list to sell one thing. And if your list is five people, ask your list. Hey, what could I sell that you might want to buy?
0: Yeah, so good.
1: Or... Ask, this is the other thing. This is about this micro communication that we've been talking about. Like Eli Lev is an artist that that I have the joy and pleasure of representing as his publicist and someone I wrote a marketing plan for years ago when he started and he's thriving. He just emailed uh, his entire list last week and he asked, hey, I'm going to go on the road and I'm looking for really wonderful cover songs to do. What cover songs should I do on the road? And I wrote back, "Oh, Eli, I, I got it. You are an uh, advocate for women. He's he he has a female partner in his band, and it's also um, his partner in life. And he's like, he loves to talk about like advocating for women and championing women. I was like, Oh my god, you got to like record an anthem for for a woman. Like, let's let's find some like cool songs that have notoriously been about." standing up for women. And he wrote back, Oh gosh, this is perfect. Thank you so much. So it was a way of him to communicate with his list. And it was a way to get creative feedback. It wasn't selling something, but it was, think about that too. Like just having two-way conversations is equally as important as sales.
0: So true.
1: So true. So think of your, instead of your ROI, return on investment, think of your ROC, return on communication.
0: Oh. Boom. ROC. Is that a thing or did you just make that up? I've never heard that before.
1: I blogged about it several years ago. I, I, I think it's my thing.
0: Awesomeness. ROC instead of ROI. That makes so much sense. I could go off another one on how this is also so reflective of our fear of money in a lot of ways. When we talk about sales and the, the icky, ickiness surrounding our associations with what sales mean, I mean, that's a whole different thing. But yes, the minute you say ROC instead, that changes everything.
1: Yes, it does. I've got five more minutes, my dear friend, and I could talk to you forever. That no, is no, very pleasing. Absolutely. Clear.
0: No, no, I appreciate that because uh, I was very aware as well.
1: Where are you right now in the world?
0: Uh, I am. Uh, stereotypically enough, currently in Bangkok, Thailand.
1: My husband's mother is Thai. Oh wow, that's amazing. She's,
0: she's from Bangkok. Oh wow, yeah. amazing. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm primarily based in Germany, out of Berlin. Uh, but uh, after 22 years of German winters, I'm trying to keep away in winter, <laughs> uh, especially uh, Berlin. And uh, well, since the pandemic, there's been a lot of re-examining uh, to be um, done. I lost my apartment to a water leakage accident. Oh thankfully I had a I have a studio separate uh, but I did lose some equipment and that kind of uh, you know uh, cut my tether off and I thought okay since I don't have an apartment right now let's see if I can make uh, take advantage of it and kind of uh, use this phase of my life to stay location independent for a while that's amazing it's, it's actually very it's a very cheesy story if I if I could if I had a dollar for every guru out there who's hanging out in Thailand building <laughs> their online businesses. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i actually i'm just yeah i just i'm just staying away from berlin winter for, for as long as i can and figuring stuff out uh, that's really it. well
1: soon it will be beautiful in berlin oh yeah the, have you been yes but many many years ago the wall was still coming down
0: oh my god well you should definitely visit berlin in summer is unbeatable
1: it's a city that i'm so intrigued with and, and really want to return to sure
0: it's an acquired taste i will warn you it's an acquired taste and, it, and it's a bipolar city berlin in winter and berlin in summer are two different universes
1: yeah a lot like new york i mean new york is more probably a little bit more vibrant in the winter mm. um, but yeah i get it
0: i i have been told there have been a lot of parallels between new york and berlin but i think uh, um, some of my friends who, who have been based between both cities as well, uh, still kind of, uh, yeah, no, Berlin in winter is just a different universe. It's, I, but I shouldn't comment because I haven't been to New York yet. I want to change that this year.
1: Well, come on over.
0: I it's, intend to. It's fun. I intend to. Uh, there's, there've been so many meaningful connections in that city for me, all of which have been online till now, um, or in other locations in, uh, in the world. I really need, do need to finally be there 3D. Ariel, I want to respect your time. Thank you. Thanks a million for doing this. I, I cannot begin to tell you how much I appreciate this. This, I don't know where time went. It flew.
1: Yes, because that's the nature of who you are. Um, it's been such a pleasure and a joy to get to hear what you're up to and some of your things. And
0: There's your phone ringing. <laughs>
1: I would love to connect you with Emily White. So let's definitely make that yes, happen. Please. Yes, please. And Suze Palinsky is another person who you must meet her. Like, really, really, really. And two more people in New York for you.
0: Absolutely. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love. One I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. Well, having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love. Talk soon.